Good morning, North Shore. How are you guys doing? Good. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Got through the, well, the first part of the holidays. Now we're ready for the second part of the holidays, right? Anybody excited about the new year? Really? Let's try that again. Are any of you excited about the new year? <laughs> Thank goodness, I'm not the only one. I have a birthday coming up. I'm excited about that, right? I'm actually going to be able to order off a different menu from IHOP and Denny's. It's exciting for some of us. Don't laugh. We all get there sometime. I'm telling you. Um, it is good to be back, and welcome back. You know, as you know, we've been looking in the book of Luke over this uh, whole Christmas month, right? We've been looking at the various reactions of Mary, Zechariah, the angels, and finally Simeon. Their reactions to the good news of the coming king, the savior of the world, born in a manger, baby Jesus. It's been a great series. I've really enjoyed it, and I'm sure you have too. But today we're going to look at chapter 15 in the book of Luke, a little further down the road, you might say, where Jesus, now grown up, tells us a very compelling story that I think we're all going to enjoy. But before we get to that, let's go ahead and pray this morning. Jesus, we welcome you. We thank you that you are our Father, that you love us, we are your children. We thank you, God, that we are in relationship with you, that you are a good, good father. And thank you so much for sending your son to be born so many years ago. Thank you that we are reminded of that every year and that we can celebrate his birth and what that means for the world. Thank you for everything, Lord, and we pray that you would open our eyes to see and ears to hear a story that maybe some of us are very familiar with. And yet, Lord, let us see it with fresh eyes. Let us hear it um, in a fresh way. And, and God, may it change us. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been lost? Yes. Physically? Emotionally? Relationally? Spiritually? See, I think there's a lot of different ways that we can be lost. And what did it feel like? Did you feel alone? Did you feel distant? Did you feel isolated? Today we're going to look at a story about two sons. Both are isolated and distant from their father. One is left physically and one is left emotionally. And both were lost. Our ushers are bringing Bibles. Thanks for doing that. Um, we will be going into the Word today, so grab one if, if you'd like. We're going to see how these sons experience the love of their father. And ultimately how we can experience the love of our Heavenly Father through this story. What was it like to be lost and then found? We're going to take a look at uh, a rendition of this story. This is Rembrandt's 
The Return of the Prodigal. It was painted in 1669, a couple years before Rembrandt passed away, and it's actually in the Hermitage in St. Petersburg, if you, if you want to see the real thing. It's about nine feet tall. It's, it's an incredible painting. But I think this painting depicts really well the story that we're about to dive into in the Bible. And I, it's just a good picture for us to see the different characters. And so I just want to go through rather quickly with you the different characters and what we see there. Okay, So the, f- the first character I want to um, point out is the young man kneeling. Do you see his clothes? Looks like he's been in those for a while. He's kneeling. You can see he, he just looks tired. He looks broken. He's leaning into his father there, just burying his head in his chest. Looks like his eyes are closed. He's just wanting to be with his dad at this moment. And you can see that probably happened rather quickly because as he was kneeling, his shoe came off. But it didn't matter. Because he just wanted to be with his dad. You can see the father there. He looks like a wealthy man. He he has a robe. He looks rather dressed up there. See a man of of disapproval at this point. See a man that's holding his son at arm's length. Knowing what he had done. If you know the story, you know what I'm talking about. And we'll get there. No. No, he's embracing his son. He's... He's pulling him into himself. He's just there and he's, he's so happy to see his son. And maybe even a little bit sad. Because he knows what he's been through. Then you see the older brother on the right. He's standing up, right? He's, is he part of that, that embrace? Part of that moment? I don't think so. You can see he's kind of distant. He's kind of removed from the scene. He's he's just kind of looking on, observing. His hands are in front of him, clasped. He's in a closed position, right? He's just observing the situation. Maybe even a bit disproving. And he's also dressed nicely, right? Because he never left home. He has what the father's had. So he's, he's, uh, he's well-dressed. And then you see the man that's kind of sitting there. Some say that's uh, Rembrandt himself, a self-portrait. And he's just kind of observing what's going on as well. And there's someone behind him who's leaning against the fireplace, kind of observing what's going on. And then there's even someone to the far left and in the back. You can't see that in this, this rendition. But there's other people as well, right, that are kind of behind the scenes, if you will, just observing, just seeing this story, seeing how it's playing out. Some say those were the servants of the Father who were there and who experienced the story that we're about to unfold. So to give us some context here, we're going to turn in our Bibles today, if you will, to uh, Luke chapter 15. And to give us some context, I'm going to read the first two verses here. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Jesus is speaking. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus, 
being very observant like he is, sees that there's basically two groups of people that are here to hear him speak. One are the tax collectors and the sinners. The other, the scribes and Pharisees. And he hears them grumbling, right? What are those people doing here? Oh, and by the way, some say he eats with these people, right? So he tells three stories about a lost coin, oh, excuse me, a lost sheep. Then he talks about a lost coin. Then he talks about a lost son. Why is he telling these stories? Because he wants them to know how we can't give up on what's lost. How much joy in heaven there is over just one sinner that repents. And he wants them to know what it's like to be lost and then to be found. So that's the context of, of what we're heading into. And we're going to read Luke 15, 11 through 32 right now. So follow along with me if you could. And he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger or on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, 
who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this son of, for this, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So we're going <laughs> to, wow, there's so much to unpack here. But we're going to do that today. And we're going to start by talking the same story again. We're going to go through it and we're going to look at the perspective of the father's love and how the sons responded to it. So if you're taking notes and you have a fill in the blank there, the first point we're going to look at is the father's love is rejected. Right at the beginning, the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. My friends, this is such a faux pas. If you know anything about this culture, if you're asking your father for, for his inheritance early, right, the guy's still alive, saying, give me what's mine, that's a bad thing. You're basically saying, you're dead to me, relationally, right? This is a very, very bad thing. You can see right there, he's like, I'm done. And what does he do next? He leaves, right? He goes to a distant land. He said, not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So he's taken his half, if you will, and he's left. When he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. My friends, he's Jewish. If you're, Jew, if you're Jewish... You have nothing to do with pigs. They're unclean animals. And yet, he's willing to feed them. In fact, he's willing to eat what they've eaten. You can't, you can't see someone that's, that's gone so low, if you will, as, as this guy. And you could say this, maybe. He's not only strayed from his family. He's not only strayed from his community. But he's also strayed from his faith. But then he has a wake-up, right? A wake-up call. This is, I believe, a defining moment in this story. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He realizes what he has done. Right? He, he repents before the God of heaven who he, he's offended. And he wants to go home and make things right with his father. Just so he can get something to eat. Just so he can have a roof over his head. He's willing to go back. My friends, he's been humbled. And he's been broken. And he comes home. 
Second point, the Father's love is revealed. And I, and I love this. It says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Again, my friends, there's so much going on in this passage. First of all, have you ever been sitting maybe at your desk at work or even at home just kind of engrossed in something, maybe reading a book, reading the Bible, whatever, and someone's come up and tapped you on your shoulder and you're like, whoa, like you didn't see them coming, right? You're so focused on what's going on around you. I know I've been there. Was that the situation with this father? No. He said, while he was a long way off, the father saw him coming. There's only one explanation for that. He was looking for him. He was waiting for the day when his son would come home. Yes, he'd heard all the stories. He knew what he had done. He felt the pain of what his son had asked him, what his son had thought of him. And yet he was waiting and looking. And then one day, here came his son. My friends, he's wearing a robe. He's, he's wearing long clothing. You saw that in the, in the, in the painting, right? Another thing, a, a Jewish man of his stature in the community does not do is run. It's very undignified. But he doesn't care. He hikes up his robes and he runs to meet his son. And he throws his arms around him and he kisses him. That's a beautiful picture of a father's love. And we know what happens next. He says, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Right? He'd rehearsed this. He knew what he had to say to him. He's expecting, I mean, just don't yell at me. I, I, I knew I blew it. I, I, I shouldn't even be here right now. Is that his, is that what he needs to be worried about right now? Not at all. No, because this is his father's reaction. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The father's love is restored. And we see that in such a beautiful way. Right? He doesn't just hire him. He doesn't just say, oh yeah, you can sleep out there. I'm still angry at you. No. Come in. You have everything that you had before and more. You are my son. And it's beautiful. My friends, if that's where the story ended, it would be awesome. Right? It's such a great story. That's a perfect place to wrap it up. But no, that's not where we stop. There's more. And I think there's a really significant reason why Jesus continues. Because there's another son. This isn't about the prodigal son. It's about the prodigal sons. Right? There's two sons in this picture. Now his older son was in the field. 
And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Wow. <laughs> you can tell the, the older brother's been thinking about this for a while, right? And how did he know about prostitutes? It doesn't mention that earlier in the story. Oh, oh, but people in the community have been talking. Yeah, they've, they've heard the stories. Yeah, word has gotten back about what his brother has been up to, right? But at this moment... The father's love is refused. The elder brother's filled with anger, right? He's filled with jealousy about the attention his brother's receiving. It's interesting. One sign of a, a moralistic or a religious spirit is a feeling that God owes me a good and comfortable life if I've lived up to his standards. Friends, I couldn't be more wrong, right? Jesus is the only way. Another observation about the older son is he's kind of in this joyless mechanical obedience. Notice when he says, look, these many years I have served you. In the NIV it says, I've been slaving for you. Serving you. Slaving for you. Oh, and I never disobeyed your command. Who is this guy talking to? Is this his drill sergeant? I've Done everything I've served you, everything you commanded I've done. This is his dad. Does anyone talk to their father like that? No. Unless you don't know him. Unless you're distant relationally. Then you might say something like that, right? He lived a compliant, obligatory, virtuous, and yet emotionally distant life even though he was home with his father the whole time. And did you notice, too, the older brother wouldn't even acknowledge, you saw it in the painting, wouldn't even acknowledge his younger brother's return, right? This son of yours. Okay. No acknowledgement of his safe return or his, his condition as he came back. My friends, the elder son's life was so consumed with doing the right thing and avoiding sin, that he totally missed out on the relationship. And he lived an emotionally distant life, and he never embraced his father. Who is Jesus talking to here? Here's the shocking heart of this parable. He, Jesus shows us that the father has two sons, right? Actually both alienated from him. One runs away, the other one stays there, but he's angry. And the father must go out to both of them and urge them to come in. But the son who is good, he stays out there. The son who is bad, who's the wayward son, he comes in. He enjoys the feast. 
He enjoys the celebration. He's the one who repents. He's the one who has humbled himself. There's no resolution. There's no closure in the story of the elder son, right? We're left to wonder, what will he do? He has a choice. He can embrace his father. He can can enter the, the wedding feast of the lamb and dine at the same table as his sinner brother. Or he can stay outside. He can continue to be alienated relationally from his father and miss the celebration with his brother. What will the Pharisees do? Will they repent of their religiosity and embrace the heavenly father? Join the sinners at the table? We don't know. And here's a couple questions I just want us to think about as we're sitting here, as we're reflecting on the story. Who do you relate more to? The younger son or the elder son? How do people in your life experience you? Are you humble? Are you aware of your brokenness? Or do you tend to be self-righteous? Sometimes even judgmental. My friends, either way, God's heart is for us. He wants to meet us in our deepest, deepest needs. Because he loves you. And you are his beloved. My friends, God is a good, good father. He wants what's best for us. And he's patient. He'll wait. He'll continue to to scan the horizon until we're willing to come home. And he's so kind. Why would any one of us want to spend just one more day or one more moment apart from him? Apart from the love and the grace that he offers us. And you saw in that painting, nothing was forced He didn't make his sons compliant to his will, but he's willing to wait for them. And he recognizes their need to return to him. Where are you at with God the Father today? How do you see him? Do you see him angry, distant, or loving and involved? What voices are you listening to? Where do you go for affirmation? I'm going to show you a movie clip as we wrap things up here. You guys, I've seen a lot of movies in my day, but this particular scene from this particular movie is, I believe, the clearest example I could ever show you if I walked everywhere on the face of this earth, I could not find a better one that shows us God's love, that shows us his kindness, and his compassion, and what Jesus did for us. It's from the movie Les Mis. Has anyone seen that? The movie, the play, the book. It's one of the most amazing stories. Centered in the French Revolution, a man named Jean Valjean is, um, well, he's in desperate times, and he steals a loaf of bread just to eat. And he's caught, and he's put in prison for 19 years hard labor 
And then he's finally released. And the scene we're going to watch, he's on a park bench, and a woman comes up to him and says, hey, go knock on that door. You can get some food there. You see, he's just been released, but he has to be in Dijon in four days to see a parole officer. Otherwise, he'll have to go back to prison. And he's hungry, so he knocks on the door. And a bishop answers the door. And he says, do you have something to eat? I have a passport, a yellow passport. I can't read, but I know what it says. I'm dangerous. Bishop says, come in. I'm a convict, he says. Come in, you can eat with us. It's a, it's a beautiful scene. Let's watch it now. Wow. If you get 19 years of hard labor for stealing a loaf of bread, what do you get for striking a bishop? He comes back, right? Why? Because he gets caught. He's got all the silver. After he hits the bishop, he runs away. And then he's brought back. He is done for. Right? The bishop's sisters are, thank God you've caught him. Right? He's going to get what he deserves. Finally. And you can tell the bishop doesn't know what to say exactly. But then he has a way out. Because Jean Valjean says, yeah. Or he tells, he tells the guards, yeah, he, he gave this silver to me. <laughs> really? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, why didn't you take the candlesticks? They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Oh, and Madame Gila, go, go get these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Why? Because he has to have a conversation with Jean Valjean. The night before when they were having dinner, we didn't see that scene. But Jean Valjean says, yeah, tomorrow I'll be a new man. Really? Well, let's call him on that, the bishop says. Don't forget. Oh, by the way, why did you leave the candlesticks? Don't forget. Don't ever forget. You promised to become a new man. Promised? Jean Valjean says, why are you doing this? And then he says this. The most beautiful line in any movie. Jean Valjean, my brother, my brother, he calls him. You no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. What is he saying there? Go and sin no more. Right? Jean Valjean, if you see the rest of that movie or or the play or the book, Jean Valjean was completely changed by the bishop's compassion. He was restored. He was redeemed. He became the mayor of a town. He rescued a prostitute. He brought up her daughter after she died. I ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Isn't that, isn't that why Jesus came? Didn't Jesus come to ransom us? Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. And didn't he come to give us back to God? Colossians 1, 23. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. 
But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Go and sin no more. One of my favorite passages in the scriptures is, is found first in Isaiah 61, verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. My friends, Jesus spends 40 days in the desert. He's tempted by the enemy, and then he comes and he starts his public ministry. First thing he does is he walks into a synagogue. They hand him the scroll of Isaiah. You know what he turns to? There's some amazing passages in Isaiah. It's a great book. But you know what he turns to? Isaiah 61. And he reads what I just read to you. And then in verse 21, he says in Luke chapter 4, he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Why? Because he came to bind up our broken hearts. He came to rescue us. He came to redeem us. He came to restore us. And he came to give us back to God. And to die on a cross. So we could spend an eternity with God the Father who loves us so very much. We must never, ever forget that. I'm going to welcome the worship team back up here. We're going to sing another song. Just stay in this moment, my friends. Ask the Lord what he wants to tell you. How he sees you. Listen to his words of affirmation. And I'm going to pray for us right now. Jesus, we've been so busy leading up to this point. So much shopping and, and visiting and and parties, and, and all that goes with Christmas. And yet, like that silent night so long ago, we want to pause. We want to quiet our souls before you, Lord. And we want to hear. We want to hear from you. We need your affirmation, Lord. We need to experience your love. We need to experience your grace. We need to experience your forgiveness. We need you. We are desperately lost without you. But thank you that you sent your son and that you found us and that you love, enough, love us enough that you came and died on a cross so that we could be with you forever. Help us never, ever forget that, Jesus, when we leave this church, this building, today and always. Thank you for what you've done. We love you. Amen.